Welcome to Uncontained, episode 62. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render, and on the show today, I talk with three actors, including Frankie Franck, El Sonnet, and Hunter C. Smith. Frankie is the manager of the two. He's also an actor. You've seen him in, uh, in some roles in movies like Fast and the Furious 7, Transformers, Dark of the Moon, and uh, he has a new movie coming up. It's an 1860s Western called Handful of Dust, so you'll definitely want to keep an eye open for that. We'll talk about that during the show. L and Hunter, they're two badasses. They're both stunt fighters, and if you're ever like, dude, I want to become a stunt fighter. How the hell do I do that? This would be a good episode to listen to because there's a lot of good advice on how they train, where they train, what they train in. Also, some good advice on if you're like, hey, dude, I want to be an actor. I want to get out there to Hollywood. I want to do my thing. Well, they got some good advice for you there too. Yeah, Frankie L and Hunter. You'll get to know them a little bit here on the show today. And I'd like to thank the people who've been making this uh, show possible, the ones that have been helping support the show by going to my website, checking it out. That's uncontainedpod.com. And if you have an Amazon purchase, please just uh Do it through the link at the top of my page, and it costs you nothing. You get the thrill of knowing you help support a podcast and, uh, you know, help support something that hopefully in some way brings you entertainment and joy. If you get some joy out of this, please don't be a stranger to the site. And if you have that Amazon shopping to do, feel free. Just click that Amazon banner at the top of the page. Enough begging. No, no, I, I... I'm putting my cup away. I'm not begging for clicks anymore. I I just want to get on with the show. Got a great show for you with Frankie Franck, El Sonnet, and Hunter C. Smith right here on Uncontained. How are you guys doing today? And welcome to Uncontained. We're doing good. How's it going? Good, good. No, thank you for all joining me. It's uh, You guys have uh, had some serious work going on. I'm actually just going to have you guys go through and like kind of introduce yourself here real quick instead of me going through three introductions. And who better to do it than uh, yourselves? Uh, we'll start with L. We'll go with the ladies first philosophy. Uh, do you want to let us know a little bit of what you're involved in? Sure, yeah. Hey, everyone. Um, I'm L. I have been acting, I started community theater when I was four, so I've been doing it a while. Um, I am an actress and stunt fighter. I've been living in LA for about five years now. Um, I've been stunt fighting for about four of those years, and I've I've found that it has opened up so many uh, doors for different types of roles as an actor. And uh, being able to explore different characters that um, I never honestly knew that I wanted to play, but... um, it's become a passion of mine doing a lot of like action films and um, movement stuff. Um, I, I've got to work with some motion capture stuff, which I love. And um, creature, I've, I've done a lot of creature roles with lots of prosthetic makeup. And, okay. Yeah. And from looking at your website and everything, you're kind of involved in the geek community as well. <laughs> Is that correct? Yeah, I kind of I kind of tell my people that I'm a professional geek. Um, 
which is kind of true. Um, I've being in LA, I have been over, I've been to over 90 comic book conventions since I've been here in Los Angeles, um, all the way down to the real small, tiny little one day conventions to comic cons and, and all over. Um, people, I, I do dress up, I do costuming and stuff like that, but I'm not a professional cosplayer. Um, I do respect people that put so much time and effort into it, but I just, I just go to a lot of conventions. I've met so many friends. I've met a lot of celebrities. I've, I've actually found that conventions are really great for actors because you get to go there and you get to meet other actors that may have a moment to chat. Um, you may create new friendships with people. I've gotten roles just by going to conventions and meeting people. Um, hey, yeah. Geekly chic, you gotta mm-hmm. bring that up for sure. Oh yeah, well, when I first got to LA, I didn't know anybody. So what I did was I, uh, I basically started my own news outlet show about geek pop culture. Okay. And that was called Chicly Geek. ChiclyGeek.com. Um, we, we would go to conventions, and that's why I went to so many of them. I went as press for a lot of the time. And we would interview celebrities on geek pop culture. And um, I got to interview a lot of great people. I became friends with a lot of Star Trek actors, which was... <laughs> <laughs> kind of a fun community to be part of. Um, it's it's been a it's been amazing. If I look back at five years I've been here, all the people that I know, it's very inspiring knowing you're around such a creative talent. Are you still doing the Sheikly Geek show or? You know, I I did it for a couple of years, like like full time, and then I I realized that the reason I came here was to be an actor. And I, I wanted to shift gears and start focusing more on my training and my acting. I had met a lot of friends. I've, I met mentors doing that show. It was a great way to meet people because I was meeting them on a professional level and not just as attending the show and meeting them as a fan, which is great. But um, I was trying to meet them on a more professional level as a, a host of a show. And... Um, I, I proved that I, I could get the work done, and I was professional, and I made a lot of great friends. And uh, it's transitioned into being able to act more, which is always good. All right, perfect. So you found your own way in to basically Hollywood and into acting through doing a show of your own, like kind of created your own doorway, correct? You have to nowadays. I mean, I... I met this actor, um, he actually, he works at my gym, and I talk to him almost every day, and uh, he just doesn't know where to get started, and I, I can tell he'd be great at comedy, He's a, he'd be a great actor, and I just, I keep telling him, you gotta make something, you gotta do something, you gotta show people what you wanna do. When I told people I wanted to be a creature actor and I wanna do characters, they would look at my photo and say, you're not a character actor, and I was like, no, but I am. So I had to prove to them that I, that I was, and so I create content, and I've been trying to show people, and when you show them, they're like, you are a character actor, you can do these things. And Why so would it, they say that you're not a character actor? Because there's a stigma behind character actors. You have to have a unique facial feature, or or to be really tall, or really short, or, or you just have to be just outside of the norm. And when, when they look at a headshot, they say, They'll look at my headshot and be like, okay, well, she's a girl next door, or she's this, or he's that. And so they kind of put you in a box. And typecasting is good because it means you're cast. But (laughs) I I wanted to be cast in things that I was was in love with. So 
I am trying to create those opportunities and those opportunities are really helpful because people, people now see me the way I want them to see me. All right. And one more question before I jump over to uh, Hunter here. What was it that made you decide to move to L.A.? You said you've been there only five years. So where did you move from and what made you decide to move? Yeah, um, I am from Seattle, Washington. Um, I'm a quarter Okanagan Colville Native American. My tribe is in Washington State. Um, <laughs> Native pride. Represent. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, I, I there's a, there's a part of it that, you know, like, I, I mean, I always wanted to come to LA and I knew that I was eventually going to move to Los Angeles. I did theater since I was four. I did three to four shows a year until I was 19. So I did a lot of musical theater, a lot of plays. Um, but when I was 16, I found the love of film acting and the, the art of whispering and being able to be heard in a true whisper. Um, so I started film acting, and I, I always knew I was going to come down here, regardless. And I used to paint my Barbie dolls gold. And then were you, like, uh, having your friends and parents hand them to you and, like, yeah. they're presenting you the Oscar? My, my grandma, of course. She, I, I painted <laughs> a lot of my Barbie dolls gold. Um, <laughs> Cut all their hair off and everything, yeah. too? <laughs> but I, I've been here for five years, and... Um, it's it's become home, you know. Like um, okay. yeah, Seattle's Seattle is a home of mine. But when I'm away from Los Angeles, I'm just like I just gotta get home, you know. It feel it feels like this this is where I've always just wanted to be. The weather's great too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, even nicer than it is up uh, here in the Bay Area. But hey, I'm originally from the Midwest where it snows, so I'm not really complaining too much about <laughs> Bay Area weather. So uh, I'll take it over so, rain. It rains too much in Seattle. <laughs> well, it's been really rainy here lately, too. Like, over the last month, like, I've been out here for about four and a half, five years now. In the first three, four years, it barely rained because, you know, this whole drought thing people were complaining about. <laughs> now... <laughs> Yeah, there's like some sort of lack of water. Now all of that is like erased up here. Like pretty much the whole drought has been erased in one rainy year. Yeah. And right. Now they're complaining about floods. People just aren't happy. I, I just don't get it because the ocean's full of water. We have water right here. I just don't get it. Desalination <laughs> plants are uh, too far beyond us. You know, uh, we discovered the technology, but that just seems but way let's too. Let's go to Mars. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or we could go to Waterworld like Kevin Costner, you know, maybe try that out for a little bit. Well, I, I grew up on the Gulf Coast in Texas, and they told me at one point when I was a child that they had to dump fresh water into the ocean to lower the salinity content to make it better for something. And I said, so we're putting our water that we like to drink into the ocean. Why aren't we taking water out of the ocean and making it safe for us to drink? Yeah. And I go, great, good, good, good chat. Let's, uh, let's move on. And then they decided to throw all this oil in there and, you know. Yeah, no. You got to keep the fish lubricated. I mean, come on. Exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's the cocktail of life, you know. Right. You got salt water, add fresh water, then add some nice natural oil from the and, 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 from the else coming off of somebody's Don't, don't forget that radiation, ship. though. That radiation, that, that mm. good old Japanese radiation, it's good stuff. Just How are you going to find fish with three eyes if you don't add radiation? <laughs> 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 On a Simpson. Okay, so Hunter... Hey, hey. Um, so you say you're from uh, from the Gulf area. Yes. All right. So how did you get started in acting and doing uh, stunts and make your way out to L.A.? 
Uh, I took the stage actor route. Uh, it was pretty much all that was available to me back in Corpus Christi and started with theater in middle school, moved on through high school and went to college at University of Texas in Austin. Just kept kind of following my passion. I didn't really know what I wanted. I could do a lot of things, but nothing ever stuck to me like acting stuck to me. At the same time, I was also uh, training in martial arts, doing uh, Bujinkan Budo Taijutsu, which eventually took me to Japan, um, just training and growing and learning. But it was this simultaneous running together, the love of performing and the love of understanding and growing in this uh, physical exploration. And that kind of took over and became the same thing after college when I went to uh, the first stunt school, uh, United Stuntmen's Association. They're a uh, school up in Washington that gets a lot of flack sometimes from L.A. guys, but it was a very interesting break into this is what to expect. And it separates people from wanting to be uh, daredevils and people who are actually serious about the craft. And from then on, I started moving in this simultaneous direction where my acting and my love for combat and for martial arts could be combined. And that's when I started basically going to Western martial arts and stage combat conventions in Canada, here in the States, uh, going as far as I could down to Florida, Texas, um, Saskatchewan, anywhere, and just picking up skills bit by bit by bit. I uh, moved out to L.A. about five years ago as well, and everyone told me, whichever arena I went to, if I went to a stunt meetup, they'd say, oh, you're an actor trying to do stunts. And if I went to a actor meetup, they'd say, oh, you're a stuntman trying to be an actor. But... <laughs> The biggest thing is that, like, I love both of these. I've trained hard in both of these, and I can do both of these. And just like Elle said, it was about creating content and showing versus telling. It doesn't matter what you've been through, what de degrees you've had, what diplomas. What have you put down that you can send to me? And I can go, okay. And even if you're not the best, it's that potential that they're looking for, that there's an innate ability here that can be worked upon. So how did you go about creating content? You know, Elle had the Sheikly Geek Show. Uh, what did you do to create content? Uh, it was a slow road, but it was basically just finding people in, in the same vein who were interested enough. Um, started with just cell phone videos and then like a little bit of, here's a base camera with the HD quality. Let's take it and give it a go. Uh, I would do stunt trainings where we'd shoot an entire week worth of stuff and I'd get 16 seconds of footage out of it, but it was still 16 good seconds and I could put that toward a reel. Um, my early reels were silly and ridiculous and full of classroom trainings and the more and more professional you can make it look, the more realism, the more lighting you get, um, that was all just helping sell myself basically. And uh, through all those projects and consistently doing projects with Elle, like how I met her doing a live stage stunt show for the Stan Lee's Kamikaze Convention. We moved that into Fair Fight. We, we were two of the hardest working people on set, so we wanted to keep working together, and that's what brought up our more recent projects. Okay, cool. So, um, and now tonight, actually, as we're recording, we can just go ahead and jump into this. If oh. you're hearing this now, you missed it, unless you were there, and then you can tell everybody how awesome it was. <laughs> uh, you have uh, a premiere tonight, correct? That is correct. The Big Day. It is a very absurd wedding comedy that we shot in uh, 2015, and uh, it was a, love, a labor of love for everyone involved, and it's uh, finally getting its premiere tonight at the NoHo Cinefest. Hopefully soon we'll be able to get some distribution, get it online for everyone. 
But uh, I'm also up for best actor in a feature at this award show. So wish me luck. And if it already happened, which it will be by the time you hear this, <laughs> we'll see what happened. <laughs> you'll have to le- you'll have to let me know how it goes, and then I'll include it in the uh, show opener outro and let people know uh, how everything came out for you. Yeah, we will. Um, we right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, oh, his, if his well, next picture is standing in the soup line downtown LA, we know what happened. Yeah, <laughs> that could happen either way. Moa. Yeah. Moa. <laughs> All right, and what better way to introduce uh, Frankie than uh, that that one-liner right there? Uh, <laughs> I'm known for Frankie Frank. Yeah, he's uh, you're the manager of these two, correct? Yes, I am. I am uh, newly. I just started a year ago, well, a little over a year ago, uh, managing talent. Uh, I take just a small amount. Okay. All right. So, uh, how how did you find these two? Uh, well, actually, uh, L was one of my friends on Facebook. And she was talking about how she was looking for a manager. And so I just wrote to her and said, hey, by the way, you know I do that too, right? (laughs) And (laughs) she texted me back. We had a a meeting. And then she said, hey, I know this guy. He's okay as an actor. But, you know, I'd really (laughs) – I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that's really how it it turned out. You know, it's just word of mouth. And that's kind of the way I like to to keep it because I don't – I, I never wanted anybody to like beat down my doors and then be one of those managers who are like, yeah, I'll take this person as a client. Next thing you know, they have like 150 people that they're trying to manage and they can't even manage themselves. <laughs> so, you know, I wanted to keep my group small and talented. And that's exactly what I have. I'm pretty fortunate. All right, great. So how many people do are you managing right now? I, I manage altogether five people. Okay. I know uh, when we were talking about booking this, uh, this show – uh, you mentioned that Dita De Leon might um, be on the show. Yeah, unfortunately, she's traveling, so she couldn't make it on the show. Okay. You want to tell people like what her specialty is too, just since she was mentioned in uh, the interview thing. So give her a little plug since she couldn't be here. Sure. Dita does a lot of uh, reality-based shows. Um, she's got a couple projects in the works unfortunately i can't really talk about that but we got a couple projects in the works uh she likes to also get you know into producing and and things of that nature so i work with her you know as far as like not just managing her career but also producing some of uh her shows so damn non-disclosure agreement i I know i hate (laughs) we have two of them tied up in in negotiations right now and we can't really divulge but i wish they could because they're freaking awesome well, we will have to uh, talk again on that later once those come out, maybe a little bit later on down the road. And uh, so you are not just a manager, per se. Like, you've been involved in the entertainment industry for over 20 years. And uh, you actor, producer, director. Um, how did you get horrible started? Horrible at all of them. And horrible at all of them? <laughs> oh, man. I- well, at least, at least you're doing it, though. That's the thing. Well, I, I, if management doesn't work out, you're going to see me at Walmart. I'll be that guy going, hey, welcome to Walmart. <laughs> yeah. The, are, are you creepy enough to do that role, though? It's, oh, he can work it. I, I'm, 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 a char- <laughs> I'm a character actor. You get you got to like tuck one arm in your shirt so it comes out like, you know, and then be like, hey, welcome to Walmart. I got we got lingerie over here and for you rednecks, we got firearms in aisle five. Yeah. <laughs> Shop smart. S smart. Uh, OK, so 
Uh, you've had some some big uh, mentors in your career. Uh, one of them being Grizzly Adams himself, Dan Haggerty, and then uh, Jack Lemon as well. What did you take from uh, What did you take from those guys? Uh, Jack, um, which you got to find this funny, but every every week I'm I'm a lawn bowler. Don't hold that against me in Beverly Hills. <laughs> um, but Jack's not buried far from there, and so you know. I go every time that I'm there and I just sit down at Jack's grave and just have that one heart to heart, I guess you would want to call it. But one thing that Jack really taught me, you know, and you could see it's very apparent in any movie that he ever did was how serious he takes his roles. And any great actor can always be something different, even though, you know, the person's face, every character he plays is something unknown to you and that's what you fall in love with. And I think that that really shows the salt of an actor. And that was one of his biggest things is that, you know, actors should always come to set on time. If if you're, if if your call time is 10 o'clock in the morning and you're there right at 10, you're late. So, you know, that and being prepared is a very big thing. Um, Every actor should already know everybody else's lines. And so that way, when you come to set, you know, now you're not you're not just an actor, you're reacting to what the other actors are doing. And that builds more um, continuity in, in the scenes. And so that way, you know, it doesn't look like one one is reading and the other one was ad libbing and memorizing. You know, it just flowed naturally. And then that gives you the opportunity to fall in love with the character. That's Jack. OK. And sounds like. An amazing mentor to have. I've I loved him on screen, especially when he was on screen with Walter Matthau. Uncle Walt. Those two just, Uncle Uncle Walt. I I don't know him well enough to call him Uncle Walt. Uh, I, I but, can tell you I can tell you a story. Okay, I know I don't know anybody that knows this outside of you know me and his son and a couple other people. But, okay. Uh, in Beverly Hills, there's a place called the Beverly Hills Hotel, the Pink Hotel. Everybody knows that one. Uh, Jack and Walt were very, very good friends, uh, very close friends. And so every, I think it was every Friday or at least once a week, they would get together no matter what they were doing and they would go and have coffee and talk about their projects and life and so on and so forth. And, uh, they would both bring a rose with them. (laughs) Now, every time when they would get up to leave, they would hand this rose to the first girl that they seen. So they were true romantics at heart. I mean, great guys. So. Okay, so uh, how 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 that go? Over? Did, 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 did the wives know about it? That, <laughs> that went so. over uh, pretty well. I mean, uh, just uh, that that was just how them guys were. I mean, their chemistry on on screen is uh, very apparent, but they were like that in real life with each other. So. All right, so did they rag on each other in real life too, like they did in Grumpier Old Men oh, yeah. and stuff like that? Was it that kind of relationship? Oh, yeah. I, I would I would believe the pet names are very real. <laughs> I don't think I don't think that was scripted. <laughs> nice, nice. That's that's how I wanted to envision their actual relationship together. But uh, you never know because they could be like that on screen and then hate each other off the screen. You know, uh, they were best it's, friends. It was great. Perfect, perfect. It helps helps fulfill me watching movies. This is my younger self being like, these guys are awesome. Uh, <laughs> Now, do you have a lot of your actors work together? It seems that both L and uh, Hunter have worked together recently on a few things. Do they? Tip, do you guys all typically work together on the same projects, kind of like a Happy Madison crew, 
or uh, um, well, we're I guess you could kind of call it like that. But I mean, as far as like sharing screen time and everything, I mean, Al and, and uh, Hunter obviously have done that. Uh, but me, uh, my best friend, Michael Kunzelman, who's an actor here, he's done a lot of different movies, but him and I have been in five movies together. So mm-hmm. we were we were starting to get called the Walter and Jack of the film industry, like the new version. <laughs> OK, uh, Um uh, of course, I'm the better looking one, um, but uh, you know that's kind of how it works. I mean, in, in Hollywood, once those doors get open to you, you do find that the doors that were opened are usually by people that are friends of yours, and so you find yourself doing a lot of projects together. Yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of rare that you know you have your friends and you never work together. You see what I'm saying? You work with people yeah. that don't piss you off. And you yeah. continue, and then you know you might work with someone that does, but then you don't want to work with them again. But you just work with people, and you keep working with them that you have good chemistry, and you like them, and and you want to be around them, and you want to see their art, you want to see what they do. One of my best things I think about taking classes of any type mm-hmm. that relates to the industry and what you love to do is. You just have to pay attention to who you appreciate the work of when they're there, who shows up on time, who works the hardest, who's always ready, and who's the easiest to be around. And from that, you kind of pick your your posse. I mean, if ever you have a chance to work on something with them in any aspect, whether you're helping them out with their production elements or you need them as, as your leading lady or leading man. And since I'm the oldest one here, you know, um, I would I would have to say that I got so disappointed early in my career by getting to work with actors, some of them that I really admired their acting ability. But, you know, off camera, they were the biggest douchebags I ever mm. met in my entire life. So that kind of that inside of, of how this industry works. So, yeah, I kind of have gone the way of uh, Ben Stiller and, you know, uh, Adam Sandler and, and, you know, these guys there just because they found a group of people that they work with well together and when everybody can you know congeals really good together as as a unit that makes the filming process a lot easier and nobody is sitting there going well their trailer is bigger than my trailer or you know their assistant's better looking than my assistant people gotten away from why the hell they're here in the first place and that's the craft if you don't have a love for the craft and this is only about money and fame get out of it and stop wasting everybody's time make room for the people here that are genius and the thing is, you can tell who's hungry. I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't know, not physically, but you know. <laughs> You're starving yourself, aren't you? You can say that's a starving actor. Girl needs a sandwich. I, 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 will just, I will just say my actors do work for craft services. Oh, it's got to be some good stuff. Yeah, exactly. it's good to be multi-talented. But, you know, you can tell, like, um, okay, so you can tell who's hungry. Like, you, you might give him advice. You might say, you should do this. You should reach out to this person. This class is great. You should try this and try this. And if, if you just kind of check in and just see that they haven't really done anything, in my mind, they don't want it. I mean, I, I understand that they may want it and they may feel like they don't know what the next step is. But if someone's giving you a few things and they've gone through it and they say, try this, try this. I mean, I, I don't think... I would hope that people aren't trying to like screw them over, but try it. Like if you're not doing anything, like write something, get a group of people together, shoot something. It's just, you have to stay busy in this industry. And if, if you're staying stagnant, you're not doing something every single day to, to get towards your acting goals or your directing or producing anything you want to do. If you're not doing something, one thing a day, then you're not doing it and you're not getting any closer. So just gotta be hungry. 
Yeah, and that's that's the you know see you could see how I how I pick my talent if you couldn't tell already you know these guys think exactly like I think. Yeah, yeah it seems like they follow the Jack Lemmon uh, rule like uh, come to the set to work and work hard. Exactly. You know, at least from what I'm hearing, I haven't seen them on set, so I can't really vouch for it. But. No, I get craft services all the time. <laughs> <laughs> And Hunter's usually complaining about the size of the trailer. You know, I mean, (laughs) we're on the radio. This trailer is so small. This is visual. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, this trailer is so small, I can't twirl fire in here. (laughs) Uh, It's like, can I wreck this place and, like, film it? Is that cool? I I did want to say, I need to give a a mention out to uh, Dan Haggerty, my other mentor. Uh, I only feel it's appropriate. And I will share this really great little thing with you. Uh, Unfortunately, when, uh, before he passed away, um, I, I did get lucky enough to go to the hospital and, and see him between my schedule. And uh, he he's such a great he was such a great comedian type of guy and so fun loving and caring about everybody. He didn't care whether you were the biggest star in the world or the guy cleaning the toilets. He didn't care. He loved everybody. And uh, you know he was I, I could tell when I went to his hospital room that he was definitely in a lot of pain. And uh, just to show you how he never lost it. He says, uh, hey, Frank, can you get me some water? And, you know, I'm not good with death and I'm not good with people being sick and I'm definitely not good with hospitals. So I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm looking all around. I can't find any water. And he's just sitting there in the bed the whole time just staring at me. So I'm running in the bathroom. I can't find any cups. I can't find anything for him. And so I go out and I'm just like, Dan, hang on one second. I'm going to get you some water. Don't worry about it. He's like, yeah, can you make sure it's ice water? I'm like, yeah, Dan, I got you ice water. And so I'm going in the hallway. I'm, hey, nurse, hey, nurse. Friend walks by. Hey, nurse, hey, nurse. And walks by. And I'm thinking, this is Dan Haggerty, damn it. What the hell's going on here? <laughs> uh, one of the nurses is like, yeah, can I help you? And I said, yeah, Dan really needs some water. Can you get him some ice water? And she's like, uh, Yeah. And I'm like, okay. So I go back in the room. I'm feeling totally accomplished at this point. So I'm talking to Dan. Dan's holding my hand and everything. I'm like, yeah, Dan, don't worry about it. I got your ice water. It's on the way. I'm feeling really good about this. Nurse comes in. She looks at the table, looks at me, and she goes, you see that right there, that gray container? And I said, yeah. And she goes, that actually is ice water. And see that cup right there? That's ice water in a cup. And I look over at Dan, and I'm feeling like I lost my whole entire <laughs> And I'm looking over at Dan, and Dan's just smiling and laughing, thinking that was the funniest thing in the world. And I'm going, all right, all right. So who's the one nervous here? Me, obviously. Couldn't even do that one right. So I, I just really totally shared that story of how great he was and up to his very, very last minute because he'd actually passed away at like mm-hmm. three o'clock that morning, the next morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, but wow. I was so honored to get to see him and talk to him one last time. And he told me, he said, uh, next time I see you, I'm going to talk your ear off. So mm-hmm. he owes me that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's, you know, that's great that he was able to keep that all the way through to the end, you know, and like humor and stuff like that can get you through a lot as well but that's that's really a cool story thank you for sharing that no problem i I like sharing those stories (laughs) yeah and uh just to go back to reference uh what i was mentioning about trailer the trailer being too small to twirl fire. We were talking actually before we started recording with Hunter and he, on his website, he has something called a fire reel. And I like clicked on it thinking it was just going to be like a sizzle reel, like all of his best roles put together. Then it shows him actually twirling fire, lighting himself on fire. And it's like, 
Wow, this is actually like a pyro reel. But <laughs> I just had to bring everybody in on that inside joke. So, <laughs> I love. Uh, I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. But I started going to like music festivals when I had just gotten into college with my sister. And the first one I went to, they had people spinning what I later found out to be his poi. And uh, that kind of started me on this entire new development of movement and um, fun. Because there's glow poi and there's fire poi and that moves into staff and sword and then eating fire and then breathing fire. And because I had done stunts where I had set myself on fire and did a fight on fire, I was like, what else can I do? <laughs> and miraculously, he still has all of his hair. Yeah. Uh, wow. Too. I've only been blown up <laughs> once and it was totally not my fault. <laughs> so how did you... how? Okay, so you saw people twirling fire at events. Is it was it like a fish show or something like that? <laughs> or... uh, it was actually Wakarusa Music Festival 2007. Uh, it was in basically a brush fire area, so they were only doing glow stuff, and I felt super awesome because I bought one of their fire staffs, and then I found some electro wire and I duct taped it to the ends of the staffs, and I made my own glow staff since I wouldn't be able to spin fire without being tackled by police out there. Um, <laughs> But and just from that, like I mean, the, the martial applications of the of the staff work, and then by just hanging out with people, dancing with people, chilling with people, they were, hey, let me see that, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is how you do it. They go, I, I know, <laughs> and then they'd show me a bunch of <laughs> cool tricks, and then all the stuff, and I'm like, wow, I know nothing, Jon Snow. Um, <laughs> so eventually, I started finding like not just the spinning elements of it, but the contact juggling, like using it to work around your body and using general flow and natural balance. And it became this new exploration for me. And so it's always a learning element, and I am just always playing, and I love that more than anything else. So it was actually fish point. Uh, was it two point oh? So you can right. <laughs> <laughs> so what did what did you put on your arm when you lit your arm on fire? Or were you actually just like burning all your arm hair off? <laughs> uh, honestly, it's. Uh, burning a little bit of hair off. It's a Coleman's Camp Fuel white gas, which is one of the safest things to burn with. Um, I use it for all my poi, etc. It gets about two to three minutes of burn, very clean, very light. If any does transfer onto you, it actually burns off, as you see, quicker than burning me. Um, okay. I used to work with um, like diesel fuels, not so much, uh, gasoline almost. And it burns black and it transfers onto your clothing and it'll burn your clothing. Coleman's Camp Fuel white gas super clean and it burns itself out so i we've actually used that with stunts before and uh we've done some other kinds of things but i would not recommend it unless you know what you're doing watch videos talk to people so so, so (laughs) that's that that's kids ask your parents stoners and people that are way too drunk please do not try that at home and the only other thing is that uh, with uh breathing fire it's actually a lot more dangerous than eating fire because with the eating fire you can use the Coleman's Campfield white gas and it goes all away but when you breathe fire you actually have to deal with either something very powerful like Everclear natural which I prefer or something more uh, chemically toxic and in that case I eat charcoal before I breathe it that way any charcoal catches excess fumes that sink down into my stomach so I don't have to deal with any of that chemical pneumonia nonsense now that we so you actually Coleman's eat like stuff. a charcoal we, now that we see Coleman's, I want money back from them. <laughs> I know, right? They're not they are not a sponsor of this show, but maybe they will be now. Coleman's. <laughs> you can find Hunter. them at any local. <laughs> yeah. 
Coleman, for all your camping and fire burning needs. That's right. The safe flame, Coleman. Let me see. Yeah, kids, don't try that at home. Like, uh, like I could just see somebody like, man, I want to go try this at home. Man, I'm going to blow up my. Aaron uh, Render told well, me to Well, if anyone try. ever saw Fire Marshal Bill on In Living Color, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if sales go up at Walmart for Coleman camping fuel, <laughs> we know what's up. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Let me tell you something. <laughs> but yes, uh, and if you haven't seen it, check out some old episodes of In Living Color. But uh, <laughs> Elf, do you do any? <laughs> do you do any fire twirling? I know you have some mad bow staff skills, but oh, are you are you, are you talking to me, Elf? Yes, I'm sorry. I'm like kind of just transition. Um, I, I have yet to set myself on fire. Um, my weapons or my body. Um, <laughs> okay. But we're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> we're waiting for the day. Um, I do. I do spin. Actually, um, it, my spinning comes from um, when I was in tenth grade. I was like, I want to start a group. So I, I did a like flag team. I had no idea what I was doing, but I spent a whole summer before school spinning a, a broomstick and uh, <laughs> hitting myself a lot in the head. So I started, started with twirling, and then. Um, I was like, I want to try to do, like, martial arts with this. So I got made fun of a lot by my coaches. He was like, you look like you're in a marching band. And so he's like, you got to hold it with, you know, like, you got to actually hold it. And I was like, so I've gotten a lot better with my bow staff and and um, turning my flair into actual, you know, strikes and stuff like that. But I, I'm not, I haven't caught myself on fire. So. Okay, well, there's, it's always good to have goals, though. But... Uh... <laughs> But you guys have worked together, as we've talked about, uh, just kind of changing gears a little bit. I saw a clip of uh, Joker and uh, what was it called? My Puddin'? Crazy Puddin'. Crazy Puddin', yes. Yeah. And uh, you guys want to talk about that? It's a short film, right? I only saw a short clip of it, but uh, you play um, Harley Quinn and uh, and Joker in it, correct? Yeah, we... Um... This this is one of those projects where we wanted to create something to show people what we want to basically be seen as or do more of. And um, we were both character actors. And so we worked together with a team of people to create this short film, Crazy Puddin', that has like a deeper message than just, um, than just, just being Harley and Joker. These characters aren't just playing, and we wanted to speak to the whole hashtag relationship goals thing that came up after Suicide Squad was out, and it says, yes, crazy love is to be admired, but not whenever it becomes dangerous. abusive or uh, violent or dangerous. And so this was kind of a play on all the ways in which Joker affects Harley, both through emotional manipulation as well as the physical violence, and speaking to breaking away from that. Yeah, uh, Harley, Harley in the short... She goes through um, the anger, and then she. The, there's also the manipulation from Joker, and um, she's basically just trying to break free and realize that she deserves better, and that that what she's getting from Joker isn't love. And um, we do have at the end of the short film, we have some statistics on domestic violence, and um, just trying to bring awareness to it because it, it's really sad when you see young kids like. Oh, they're so in love. Oh, relationship goals. They have no idea how 
<laughs> mess up the relationship is. And that's something to strive for. Guys, don't be a joker. And girls, don't be a Harley. Like, just don't. <laughs> so. so is there a reason why this was important to you? Was there, do you guys, either of you have close ties with this or have witnessed it in person or? No. Like... Not pers- not a personal experience with it per- for me, but um, but something about that hashtag really bugged me. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, about that. And so right after the movie came out, all these young kids were just and and adults my age, like they should just know better. That's don't strive for this. Well, I haven't seen any of the physical abuse in a relationship sense, but I have been a roommate to someone who was verbally abusive over the phone to many women and. I couldn't understand why they'd call back. Like he'd yell at them, scream at them, hang up on them. They'd call back and he'd do it some more. And it was a very negatively fueled relationship every time I saw it. And there was one time where I heard a fight going on in the other room and all of a sudden there was a crash and I busted out there in a hot second. And I was like, what just happened? He goes, oh, I knocked over a lamp. I was like, you knocked it over, you threw it. He goes, I knocked it over. And I looked at her and she was like, yeah, he just knocked it over. I was like, don't let this become what it's about to. And they they both kind of chilled out a little bit once they realized that there was an audience. But it's something that can definitely be hard to speak about or hard to approach to someone. And whenever it's idolized or put up in this Hollywood format where it's golden and glowing and it's beautiful people and it's interesting people, it's easy to lose sight of the facts and the, the realities of it. So we wanted to definitely hit on that. And... I also just have a penchant for playing Joker, so it was an added win. <laughs> All right, fair enough, fair enough. So it's a good uh, message out there for people to check out. And uh, can people see that yet, or just is that is that out, or it's gonna where be can they find in, that? It's going to be released in May, so keep, okay. keep an eye out for that. And if you do like my Joker, I also did another short film recently as a different version of the Joker called red hood uh return of jason todd which will also be released in the next couple months online but that's more of a uh, a different story <laughs> okay real quick on the whole playing joker how first of all how long were you in that character for i started playing the joker when i started uh jumping in with the kamikaze stage fight kind of circuit and so i played it on a bunch of grander stage had to be much bigger than life and uh couldn't be the darkness that uh heath brought to it um i love just silliness and abject ridiculousness and i'm very odd most of the time so that kind of entertainer aspect fell into line for me but when it started becoming to film it was a much greater challenge to bring in the reality and the truth of the darkness and the the mania uh, working okay. with L on Crazy Puddin' was nice because I got to focus on the love that's in Joker versus more of the hate or the darkness there. And so you don't really get to see too much of his sinisterness. It just kind of uh, it hides under the surface in that Crazy Puddin' one. And the other one that I did, The Return of Jason Todd, it focuses on the death of Jason Todd and on the Joker's killing of him and torture. So there was a much darker point to go to. Um it's it's a bad place, but if you know how to treat yourself and treat those around you, you can make it safe for everyone and still reveal some truth. 
Yeah, because the reason I asked that is because I heard that before Keith Le- or Heath Ledger took uh, the role as uh, Joker, uh, Jack Nicholson told him not to take the role because it kind of takes over you. You kind of get lost in it with a feeling of no sense of real reality or what's right and what's wrong. Uh, did you find that to be an issue at all? or um, I've played a lot of villainous characters, and, and Joker was just another one on the line. And I think I first encountered this depravity when I played Iago, and I spent longer with Iago as kind of a part of a, a classroom workshop setting. But finding those reasonings where you can disconnect yourself from what a normal person would see is horrendous or wrong or violent or malicious and you go into a more of this gleeful chaos and the enjoyment of this just destruction um that was kind of where more where i took joker versus literally enjoying and reveling in pearson's pain it was more enjoying and reveling in this upset in this possible change and watching how they'd have to deal with it um there are certain like things, like I said, the acting techniques and whatnot, in which you create a safe way to get into that space and out of it. Uh, one of my favorite ways is 10 steps. Uh, you create a stairwell that leads either up to a place of abject happiness, which is hard for some people to obtain. It's a lot easier for people to go in a room and cry themselves out or, or beat something and get to a place of darkness. But sometimes becoming happy, ridiculously happy, is one of the hardest things you can do. However, in this sense, I created the stairwell going down to Joker. Ten steps that led to a very sick world that was more about uh, the amusement and the chaos more than anything else. But I used those ten steps to get back up to humanity whenever it's over. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, that's how I protected myself. But when I was in the midst of it, Nothing really made sense because I don't – I come from a very nice family. I come from a lot of non-horribly emotional or traumatic experiences. So using the Meisner technique, I simply placed myself in a bunch of imaginative circumstances where I could play with those things but keep it far enough from me that it didn't hurt me. All right. So are they 10 specific steps? Like uh, – like, okay, got to do this to get here, got to do this to get here. Or does it – like? And can that be used for any role or is it that you have to customize the 10 steps to get to where you want to go? Um, basically, it starts with uh, daydreaming to find the thing that affects you most, the place that sets you most in the realm, whether it, whatever it is. Um, and then you work on getting to that place in the quickest fashion, which is what the 10 steps helps with. I literally craft a very, very neutral, basic stairwell as if you're in a corporate building or something like that with white walls and simple railings but as each step goes along whether you're going up or going down that contorts and twists into the kind of place in which you would end up at your destination so for joker it started with the whiteness and everything and then very quickly in the ninth in the first step it became the wall started to turn gray by the second step a crack appeared along the wall i started feeling the coldness in the air around me and it becomes a lot of sensory work things that uh music and sound effects um basically allowing each sense to really absorb everything that goes into it so that by the end 
it's this I was basically by uh, by the end of Joker, my last step was um, into a funhouse door was the very bottom of the stairwell. And that entire crafting down there was just these these schisms happening, flashes of seeing something, um, graffiti appearing on the walls at each step, just adding to that torment everything that I could place in my mind to connect me with the action. Okay, I've never really uh, thought of building a, I don't know, I guess a world in my own head to get into a character in order to get into happiness. That's pretty interesting sounding. That's cool. How did you find out about that? Uh, I can't remember exactly whether it was one of the books that I read or if it was my teacher, Elaine Williams, at the Baron Brown School. Um, but one of my biggest issues was getting to that daydream state, getting to that full emotional connection quickly. And that was the technique that I was told was you basically just chart it out. And the more you craft it and the more you craft it in your own private time and your own personal rehearsal, when you show up to set, basically, and you have to do that again and again and again – and then, oh, it's lunchtime. <laughs> Let's have a nice chat with everyone. And then right back to it. <laughs> it was way different than doing it for a play where you can spend up to like an hour before the show opens getting into that space. You live there the entire time. And then when it's done, you're free. With the film, you have to be in it. You may shoot the same depraved, horrible scene all night long. And getting into that fresh space each time to allow yourselves to walk into the same uh, situations um, honestly, was the trick for me. Cool, cool. So let's let's switch from Joker here real quick. That's a really interesting look into the psyche of how to play just a deranged character, though, uh, to another superhero-type show, uh, Lady Deadpool Diaries. L, you want to elaborate on that? That's a project that you're working on? Yeah, um... I, I love to do a lot of action stuff lately, and I've, I find out with my martial arts, uh, my background is in Muay Thai kickboxing, and I do bow staff, and I've been trained in firearms, and I've done military tactical procedures um, with uh, a lot of really great trained people. Um, I, I was fortunate to actually get to go in a um, side tangent. <laughs> Patrick Kilpatrick, <laughs> a friend of mine, he took me up to go shooting when I first kind of came down to Los Angeles. So that was kind of fun. But uh, back to Lady Deadpool, I wanted to play a character, a superhero character that had honestly personality. Um, a lot of the, the female superheroes you see, they, they're very, um, I don't know, they're either mean or they're very serious. They don't laugh as much as they should as a person. Yeah. Um, they're, they're kind of written one-dimensional. We're gonna, we're here to kick ass, take names, and we're gonna fight, and we're hot, you know. And and I just when Harley came out for Suicide Squad, people fell in love with Harley because she had personality. She had, she had something. She had like a character. She had ups and downs, and she had something more to play with. So I wanted to do. I love. I love Deadpool. He's just fun and crazy. And <laughs> I, I knew he was a lady Deadpool because I am a geek and I know my comics. What? <laughs> Not you. Surprise, geek! Um, so I, I'm starting to train with... I don't do as much sword as I do, like, bow staff and just... I like to punch. Punching is my favorite thing. <laughs> Hunter is actually training me into in doing some, like, some sword. We're doing 
Um, he's teaching me how to poi, and he's always like, "You gotta keep, you gotta be conscious of where your blades are." <laughs> it's the edge orientation. There which we is go. The <laughs> I'm training with him, and he's great. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm excited to put on camera a character, a female superhero character that has some that has character that has depth. It's gonna be fun to play, and I just honestly just want to like shit around with people, <laughs> and so. It's going to be fun. I am um, doing five episodes of Lady Deadpool. And we're bringing in uh, guest characters. Uh, right now we have lined up uh, a Black Widow character, Hawkeye. Uh, we're doing Wolverine episode. And then the last episode, uh, we'll probably have an appearance by Deadpool as well. And Hunter uh, is going to be playing a character as well. I'm not sure which okay. one. But... I do enjoy working with this guy. I mean, it's kind of difficult, you know, I don't know. <laughs> we'll have him on set. I've only gotten to play Deadpool once, uh, and that was for a going to, what was the? Oh, yeah. Uh, it was a, it, <laughs> a Long Beach Comic Con after Long party. Long Beach Comic Con after party at a gay club. At a gay And whenever like, you tell me club. my job tonight is to wear a mask, drink, and dance. It's over. It's done. <laughs> There was a go-go box, and Hunter was up there dancing as Deadpool. <laughs> it was <pretty> awesome. <laughs> but, uh, so... I'm, I'm, sounds, like, sounds like a blast. And, and, and to get paid to do so, it was fun. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. I was there as Wonder Woman. But, okay. Um, yeah, I'm excited for that. We have a really great team of people that, um, that have shot this shot crazy put in. They're coming back to shoot, and um, everyone's just really super super supportive and that's that's one thing about hollywood it's like you need to come down here and it's not things aren't gonna happen right away because you need to make friends and you need to you need to be a genuine person you know and friendship takes you have to give and take and it takes time to build these relationships but once you have these relationships with people um you want to work with them and they want to work with you and magic happens so. Do you think Hollywood is becoming more genuine now? Because, you know, you don't necessarily think of Hollywood and genuineness when, especially in other parts of the country. But to hear hear those words is kind of cool. But do you feel it's becoming more of a genuine place? or I feel like there's more opportunity for genuine people to work with genuine people. But I don't think, I think there's still, it's still very difficult. And, um, and I'm finding for myself, the more I do, the bigger projects I'm doing, I'm finding that people are becoming less and less genuine. And it's as sad as that is, it's the truth. And, you know, you have to just have people in your corner that can kind of be like, just kind of like a conscious for you, like, just be careful, do this. That's why I got Frank, right? He's like... <laughs> He's like, the beast. Frank's like the guard dog. It, it is the sad truth that the... The more that the more good things that you're doing, you start attracting the people that want to take your good things from you. And so you need to actually you need to protect yourself as much as possible. Not become jaded, but just know what's happening because you don't want to be taken advantage of. All right, perfect. So we've got a lot of good advice from you throughout this episode so far. One like show up early, the Jack Lemon rule, work hard and all that but what advice would you guys have for somebody who is looking to get either started in the entertainment business or looking to continue on their career to something a little bit bigger school school and more school you can never learn enough about your craft the day you think you know everything about your craft find a different job 
And, uh, yeah, you noticed the show just ended slightly abruptly, and that means there's going to be a part two. That's right. Talking to these three actors, Frankie, Elle, and Hunter, they had a lot of information, a lot of answers. I had a lot of questions, and, uh, well... I have more of them, and they they have a lot more interesting stories to tell as well, and I'm saving part two until next week, so um, just a little heads up to the listeners out there. For the next two weeks, uh, my show times may be just a little bit off, a little later, a little early getting launched, um, because I'm going to be in an area with limited limited internet access for me so yeah going on vacation been doing this a year and another real job so you know i i need to get out i need to you know experience not working for two weeks so um i will be posting these still i'm not gonna miss an episode i i'm dedicated to you guys and i just want you to know if it's not up at the exact time I normally launch my show, it's coming. Or that may explain why it's early if that's when I get the chance to pop it up. So uh, thank you for listening. And if you really want to support the show, please uh, swing by iTunes or whatever podcast player you're listening to this on right now and give me a five-star rating and uh, leave a comment, a review, and please share this with your friends as well. I know, I know, I'm just asking a lot, but that's what I do. I ask questions. Uh, Thank you for listening. Part two coming next week with Frankie L. and Hunter right here on Uncontained. And as always, until next time, live Uncontained.